This is Five on Three. Center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. What's up, everybody? Lou Orlando, another week, another episode of Five on Three. Lou Orlando, Jack Warner, two usuals. Couple changes to our usual program. First, Chris Carino, your five-on-three debut, if I'm not mistaken. It's a debut? I'm honored. Yeah, I, I keep having these debuts with Jack on the air last week. Yeah, this week. is the second debut it I've was, been on with Chris Carino. This is awesome. It was College Gridiron last week. It's five-on-three this week. I made my NHL beat reporting debut mm-hmm. last night. I think that might have, may have factored into this just a tiny bit. Sure. Um, but I'm, I'm ready to talk some puck. By the way, Sam Hartman, mm-hmm. handsome guy. He's a handsome, even with no beard, just the, just the mustache, handsome guy. Handsome guy, yeah. Not to be outdone, we have officially a returning guest on the podcast, a multi-appearance guest, Maddie Vimonte, our resident from Raleigh, North Carolina. Huge, 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 huge Carolina Hurricanes fan. Eva, correct in that. No. No. (laughs) Hello. Welcome in the five on three. For those of you who do not know me, I am a disgruntled Carolina Hurricanes hater. And a little birdie told me that this team is making a trip up to New York City this week. My new home. As the reason for the childhood trauma in the form of ruining three formative birthdays, I'm happy to report that the sun is once again shining. The Carolina Hurricanes have entered into a losing streak. Hopefully, this season continues downwards and reduces the ticket cost at PNC Arena, so I may once again return in person to prey on their downfall. A little bit about what's going on with them. Uh, First off, congratulations to Justin Williams. Heard you made the Carolina Hurricanes Hall of Fame. That's a real big accomplishment. Have fun up there, buddy, with Cam Ward, who is the Christmas Parade uh, Magistrate this year. Big shout out to Cam Ward on that one. Welcome back to Sebastian Ajo. Heard you got off injury, but goodbye to Brett Pesci. That guy has a lower body injury. We don't know what that is, but he's out for a couple of weeks. But you may be asking yourself, what is so bad about this Hurricanes team this year? <laughs> and it has to do with a really familiar motto that you may have heard at the Hurricanes home games. Say it with me. Cheaters never win. And they sure don't in Carolina as of late as they have been spending more minutes in the box than they have on the ice. In fact, last game against the Lightning, Carolina had a 37 penalty minutes by the end of the game compared to the Lightning 17. What more can I say other than this team really shouldn't be winning? And they aren't. And there I rest my case. Once again, you've come on and completely stolen the show. How about the Carolina Hurricanes? Aren't they just a boring team to watch? Just not a fun team to watch whatsoever. And I don't know. I feel like I kind of saw this coming only because it was such a demoralizing exit last year. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a I mean, it was a, according to coach Rod Brindamore, it was not a sweep. Even though they lost in four games. It was not a sweep. Yeah, did you watch? Did you did he you watch? He watched the game. I watched the game. He watched the games. We lost four games. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't get, swept. get swept. Um but no, last year Carolina was a team that prided themselves on being able to outwork you. Even if they were not a high-scoring team all the time, they were able to wear you down. They had a defensive unit that was really strong and really reliable and this year I understand that we are only six games in, and I don't think that this tells the tale of the entire season, but I have seen not a single ounce of the grit or a single molecule of the— jump to that. That's what I'm saying. You don't, there's not a single molecule of grit 
to this Carolina pass, team so they far. They can't pass. They can't kill a penalty. They're 28th in the league in penalty killing. Do you think this has anything to do with the fact that they employ Tony D'Angelo? I think it has a lot to do with that. I think, at the end of the day. I think that's guy. the primary reason, actually. Right. I love be. how we haven't touched on the matter-of-fact tone matched with just like the personal vendetta that you just spilled. That was that was like the that was a comedic duo that I just don't think can be compared to. It's um, years. It's years. Uh, it started back when I was seven. It's all been bubbling, uh, and then people in my hometown were like hopping on the bandwagon at age like so where do your loyalties lie uh not there okay just like anywhere else just like <laughs> yeah. wherever they're playing yeah so 2022 eastern conference finals game seven was probably like like christmas for you it was yeah okay uh, it's I'm always sorry. a great time to watch them lose um considering that they haven't done any me any favors on my birthday do they still have a stall on the roster they like have they, a jordan yeah. stall he's on i was gonna say one. they have to have one they do the only the one. only question i have after six games yeah. six pretty Actually, seven games for the Carolina Hurricanes. My apologies. After a, after a very luscious three and four start, how does this affect Paul Stastny's legacy? <sighs> Who knows? How does this affect Jesper Foss? How does this affect Jesper Foss? Or Shane Gostas Bear? Oh wait, sorry. He's on, he's on an absolute wagon. Oh, shout in out to Ghost Bear. <laughs> well, uh, Maddie, do you have, you have anything else for us at all? Um. Other than I can't wait to watch Cam Ward lead the Christmas parade in Raleigh. Uh, that's going to be fun. Can't wait to see him back out there doing some good for the Raleigh community. Oh, that's cool. it. Majors and Canes play next Thursday, I think, right? Yep. It's, Sounds about right. A little yeah. birdie told me that. Yeah. Jalen Chatfield. This birdie is very talkative. There's a lot, a lot of birds talking to player. Yeah. That's a player. It's usually in the form of like uh, an ESPN notification. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's, that's <laughs> pronounced Espen. It, yeah, sorry. I no, I didn't um, ask the birdie its okay, name. No, no, I just like heard from like a thing. It's that it, no, that's it's okay. It we didn't expect you to know. At the end of the day, like what what do I know? No, exactly. I'm but just a, I'm just a I, hater. I'm glad you're just here purely to talk hurricanes and no no other motives at all. I, I'm I'm just glad that you you just love talking puck and you came on to do that with us. And I especially love talking about when my when my beloved hurricanes mm. have a rough start because I want to make sure every step of the way people know that I was there to be there for their downfall. I, I will never I will never hop on the bandwagon. Hey, look, I hate the hurricanes. They cut my beat reporting season short last year. I, Islanders took them to six games. Even took game six in overtime. I mentioned Paul Stastny. He's actually the one who, I mean, got one past Ilya Sorokin. It was ridiculous. Sorokin makes that save 99 times out of 100. That's besides the point. Uh, they ended my they, – they cut they, – I could have covered another round of playoff games, and it was because of the Carolina Hurricanes. So I, I'm, I've loved the dialogue the first five minutes yeah. of the show. Listen, I'm happy to be back anytime. Uh, hurricanes do anything awful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll keep it. You'll be the first person we call. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, as, as a proud hater, I just like the commitment is just amazing. I mean, I, was, I have when I think about it, it's like Kyrie, Duke, the Astros. No, no, you can take Duke out, but it's okay. Oh, you're on that side of Tobacco Road. Yeah. Well, have fun with your uh, TikTok boy at point guard this year. That should be fun. I will. I'll make some great TikToks. I'll like them all. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure, you and the rest of the Dukies will. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to go visit uh, Shazevskyville this year. The year and. Uh, Hang out with the tents for a little bit. Too sure. bad my team killed him like two years ago. Too bad. So, you know, it's a really tough situation. Um, but we're not here for that funeral. <laughs> no, 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 of course, of course, <laughs> of course. And I will be, I will be back for another funeral. Uh, maybe if Tony D'Angelo does something uh, really heinous, I would yeah. love to hop on. I'm for that sure as he'll well. be back in a couple weeks. If yeah. not, we'll if not days. If maybe depending how this Rangers series goes, I might be back. Maybe soon. we'll have to have you on uh, to unpack that. It's a pretty safe bad bet. Guy. Well, I would love to be back. Guy. Always glad to be on my favorite podcast. 
until then, Madeline, thank you. Thank you, Maddie. Be gone, woman. Well, now that now that that's out of the way, and we can you know we can get now back the to show the, is the real the man talk of it all. Yeah, get the um, hell, get the hell out of the studio, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Now let's get let's get down to iron tax and whatnot. Uh, to reintroduce ourselves, Lou Orlando, Jack Warner, Chris Carino, three hockey beat reporters, Rangers, Jack's Rangers. Mm-hmm. Chris, you had your first hockey report. First, yeah, no, first hockey report. Yeah, went to the went to the Rock, and so I think let's start. With the Devils. Devils were the only team that played yesterday, and they lose 6-4 to the Washington Capitals. And, I mean, Chris, I want to open up the floor to you first and just, I mean, can this team play a complete game? I mean, it seems like they can play one complete period. Yeah. And then just, they kind of have to just, I I don't even know what I can, what analogy I can use. It just seems like they're squandering for anything aside from that. Um, I do think it's a defensive problem. I think if you watch any of these games, Mm -hmm. I mean, Lindy Ruff talked about it in the post-game presser. It just seems like all five of their defenders just get skated through every, you know, four minutes or so. Even the Capitals had a disallowed goal. It could have been even worse. Um, But it's just, I do think they'll get it together because I do think when you look at, you know, a team that's inconsistent the positive is more their ceiling and the negative you can kind of look at as something that was kind of just uh, an anomaly but I do think if this continues I mean it's six games into the season or six or seven and it's not really getting better I mean obviously you see Jack Hughes out there he had three assists last night you see the talent with guys like Nico Heischer Timo Meyer. you see it offensively even in that first period where you know they've been you know it's been a thing around the league they've had bad first periods they played well in that first period it was just you know a lack of getting it behind the net I do think that this devil team team is talented. I mean, we saw it last year when we, you know, I was at game six of the Rangers series um, and we have, I'll talk about that more later, but I do think that the potential is there. They're just maybe having a little bit of a hangover. It was really zero to 100 when you talk about success in Newark. I mean, it went from mediocrity for almost a decade all the way into maybe being a top four team in the NHL. I do think there's some hangover all that and that hangover over that and I do think that that's a kind of a big jump to make and I do think that might be kind of where it is right now I'm not concerned for the Devils yet they've not been an enjoyable team to watch so far but listen there's been kind of it's weird but but yeah they're entertaining right but here's but here's why this is why I'm not entirely like nervous of the Devils first of all any team we talk about today we're six games in except for the Hurricanes this is Hurricanes Hurricanes season they're the worst anyway the Devils have had no shortage of being able to score they're averaging four goals a game they're converting on like I think it was 42% of power plays. They have the best power play efficiency in the league. It's nuts. Jack Hughes, 17 points through six games. Ridiculous. Oh. So, look, they've been finding ways to to put the puck in the net. They're not. There hasn't been a shortage of scoring. I also will chalk up any sort of goaltending weirdness to growing pains on one portion. I understand Vanacek is hit and miss. It's early. Akira Schmid's getting his first look at a full regular season this year as being one of a, as being a real member of a you know goalie platoon for a full regular season. So the fact that he was one of those guys that came kind of sprinting at you during the Rangers series last year and honestly was part of the reason that they won that series. Oh, um, reason, yeah. He, if not the biggest reason they won that series, I think offense is continuing to produce goaltending. You're seeing some some growing pains, defense. Like you said, Chris, is where I, personally I see the most concern because even against Washington last night, you saw several, several examples of just blown defense. I mean, we're watching it. I remember saying it to you yesterday because I came back and we were watching it. Just 
it's like they don't know how to fill gaps right now. No. Like, even when they have, and they let up a ton of odd man rushes that's already, hey, when you're a fast team, when you're a team that tries to break out, you're probably going to give some back the other way. That's kind of the give and take when you play a style like the Devils. But outside of the odd man rushes, which they let up way too much, even for their style of play, just not being able to fill gaps when they're lining up like man to man, and it's you know they have five back. They're letting way too. They're letting these wide open lanes in front of the, in front of the net to the sides of the net. They're just not filling gaps. I know it's something that me and James Burley had talked about up a couple weeks ago, where I thought coming into this year that the biggest uh, the biggest change that you were going to see with the Devils and the biggest thing that they were going to have to get used to was losing Severson and Graves. Right. Because although I think they made the right decision in both regards, you're not going to give Severson that contract. And Ryan Graves pretty much is a guy that I think this team can lose. But right. losing two guys that were stalwarts in your D-line, and then now Luke Hughes is playing for the first time, and he's a rookie, and having to start Brendan Smith, that's causing issues. But I think it's beyond the third line. Like it's Every single line defensively is really having trouble. Right, and the other thing is, you know, like you just said, there's... For as good of a team as they were last year, right? We we knew coming into the season under pretty much every projection everywhere that they're gonna be a one of the teams to beat in the NHL this year. There's still a lot of adjustment. Like you just said, those were two understandable moves contractually, in yes. terms of contracts, in terms of economics, right? Those are two very understandable moves. But if you look at the movement of Graves and Severson, those are two core guys that Severson had been there forever that's what I'm saying that's their guy I remember I remember understanding like I remember when the news broke that he was no longer a devil I understood why because again contractually but it still shocked me because he's he's been their guy Mm -hmm. for a long time but at the end of the day like I said it's early in the season you shouldn't be having the Washington Capitals of all teams hanging six on you right yeah um but I don't know if I've been given enough by genuinely any team in the league other than the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I don't want to let last night fool any hockey fans at home. Right. The Capitals are not good. Like, they're not a well, good... That's, that's I, my, I kind of agree. That, well, no, yeah. that's my that's my point. It's like you, the, the Capitals should not be hanging six on the New yeah. Jersey Devils. And Hunter Shepard made his debut last night in between the yeah. sticks, and obviously, you know, he gave up a lot of goals. Obviously, four is not what you want. <laughs> it's all in the second but period. But, yeah, in the first period, I mean, his team's up 3 nothing, and he's making so many game-changing plays. I mean, they Devils could have three goals in that first period easily, and he was stopping everything. And also, I do think like, it was 3 nothing after the first period. Like, this game was, like, over. And the Devils had to just pull uh, superhuman heroics in the second period to get this game back. They took the lead. I do think that is character-building. I wouldn't take that as a negative I would take it as more of a positive um the Capitals again not a great team shout out Trevor Van Riemsdyk shout out Christian Bowers Academy um (laughs) anyway Jack Jack cousin of Candace Green former women's Jack knows what I'm talking about I do Uh, know what you're talking about yeah uh, we have you know he has a Stanley Cup whatever um he he brought it back to CBA one time whatever um anyway I do think it was cool to see Ovi last night as well saw him in the hallway that was very cool especially after a two-point performance he was feeling good 824th goal of his career unbelievable doesn't even seem like a real number but I I think this devil team will be okay it really is growing pains i do think i don't think it's necessarily anything structurally it does seem at ruff's press conference after the game like he is a little bit nervous maybe a shuffling of the lineup might need to take place defensively um but i wouldn't get worried I, the talent is there and also there's an excitement around this team in new jersey people care they're filling the building i was walking around new york penn station yesterday three hours before the game devil people everywhere I mean, oh yeah it's, you I, see it and it wasn't like that three years ago i mean that second period they're they're so enticing and it's because 
because of that second period where you're down 3 nothing and you can go put four goals in the blink of an eye. Like, yeah. There aren't that many teams in the National Hockey League that have the offensive explosiveness that the Devils do. It was I'm, in 10 minutes. I'm not going to write them out. And, Chris, I loved your point at the beginning that, like, two years ago we weren't talking about the Devils as a contender. No. You have to remember that this— where this team is has been so expedited by the development of yeah. Jack Hughes and the superstar that he's become mm-hmm. and playing it aggressively, realizing, hey, we're having a great season last year and making moves to match that, to be the contender that they were playing like, that I hate comparing the Devils to the Rangers, but I feel like there's been a lot of opportunities to do that. I did it last year when the Devils were up and coming and it felt like, hey, they could make a conference final run. But what happened to the Rangers last year after a run to the conference final, this magical run where they surprised everyone, is all of a sudden they had these expectations. You looked at the Rangers as a team that should make it to the Stanley Cup or you yeah. know, could expect to do that, and all of a sudden those expectations start weighing on them. I wonder if it's the same Jersey, because you look at every ranking, Jersey's usually top three. That's and a very some, interesting And sometimes they're considered the best team in the league. They're easily one of the top two teams in the Eastern Conference, where it's like, this is really new territory for the New Jersey Devils. When you say it, I see so many parallels between, you know, that, that you know, well, success hangover, not championship right. hangover, but success hangover in New Jersey as well. I also think part of the reason that this is standing out as much, again, good teams shouldn't lose a lot of games. But the other thing that's, that's I think, standing out the most about this little bit of a rubbish start for them is also that two of the losses come from very mediocre teams. Yeah. Because we just mentioned we just mentioned Capitals should not be a team. Capitals shouldn't be a team beating you at all, let alone putting up six on you. And then additionally I feel like we're we're I feel like we're being a little too mean at the Capitals. They're not we're not talking about they're not San Jose. Sure. They're not good, but yeah, they're not but yeah, and they're not the, I, and, I agree and the, the devil should beat them. But they can go out and I think they're below and they're average. not and they're not they're and they're not the Arizona Coyotes either. And the Devils lost to them in a sh- in yeah. shootout. Arizona's been like s- sneaky gritty. That's a different conversation. My point is neither. So imagine, I Matthews, either, imagine Matthews in the desert too. Oh my uh, goodness. Neither of those teams, oh. in my opinion, will later on in the season be a threat like the Devils will be. That's fair. These are supposed sure. to be two. These are supposed to be easy wins on the schedule that you should be, especially both of them on home turf. Yeah. That should be easy wins on the schedule. So these should not be something that we should be talking about uh, when there's other they're gun- later on in the season there will evidently be games like Boston, like New York, yep. like because they already beat they already got a very gritty win against the New York Islanders. I mean, yeah, we ha- I don't think we've been on since that game happened. Right. Like, that like that's that that's that's Devils hockey for you. Right. They'll put up 5 against the Rose. Exactly. So yeah. It's just I, I I think that's part of why this also stands out a little bit. Also, they 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 played they played back to back as well. I mean, right. everybody played back to back. The Capitals did too. To right. be fair, yeah. but if you get drummed the night before and you're going into another game, that's 100%. way more momentum than you know beating the Canadians five two the night before. You know what I mean? I'll say this not to overreact, but you brought up the goaltending. I wonder where we're going to end up falling in Akira Schmid because the games, the, the stats of the three games are bad. 863 save percentage, yep. allowing you know four goals on average. And mm-hmm. it, here's my thing I think that Schmid got hyped up because of a great series against the Rangers, and rightfully so. But maybe, maybe, maybe we shouldn't hype up a backup goaltender that played against the Rangers because mm. the Rangers have a history of making backup goaltenders look like Henrik Lundqvist. This is and true. On top of that, like the Rangers already historically don't play well against backup goaltenders. Louis Domingue basically got the Penguins up three one in the series. Yeah, <laughs> third string goalie. And then we signed um, them to minor league contracts. That's exactly what we do. <laughs> On top of that, when you look at that series against the Devils, anyone can tell you the Rangers didn't play good after the first two games, right? Except for maybe Game Six. 
Um, so, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think that Akira Schmid. I think he's somewhere in between what he is, what he's looking like right now, and what he is against yeah, the Rangers. I, I don't think that I don't think that Akira Schmid is the guy that we saw against the Rangers. Playoff hockey's weird. Like Sergei, well, well, so Sergei Bobrovsky is not doing I, what he's doing I, well, in the playoffs anymore. I was right? just, like, I was just about to say that that there were last year in last year's playoffs at any given point there were anywhere from two to three teams that were running backup goalies out and there. And they were in playoff games. Aiden yeah. Hill got himself a bag in a starting goaltender position based on a single right. postseason run. He outplayed Igor Shosturkin yes. for at least a couple of games. Exactly. Like, seriously. Yeah. Yes. Like Schmid is one of the key reasons that the Devils won that series, but. I think we have to reframe it as, hey, postseason's weird. The Rangers don't play well against backup goaltenders, and Akira Schmid might just be an average to below average backup goaltender. Steve Pierce also has a uh, World Series MVP. Postseasons are weird. Postseasons are weird. We've been being really what mean. What year was that? 2018. Yes. Whoa. We've been yep. really mean to the Devils. I want to <laughs> give them. Wow. I want to give them their flowers because on top of the fact that I think if they like if they some if they find a way to win against Washington, and that's a comeback win. All of a sudden, we're talking about like three straight wins, and I think the conversation yeah. is really different. And Jack- three and three gritty wins. Right, Jack Hughes. You oh said God. it a little bit. Seventeen he, points in insane. six games. I want to read off some stuff. It's the most points in the first six games since Mario Lemieux. In- Run that back. It's the most points in the first six games since Mario Lemieux in 1996. Fifth best start to a season in the modern NHL. Jack Hughes, in my mind, is clearly establishing himself as the best USA-born player in the league, a top ten player. In the league, he's awesome. He's so fun to watch. The like we already knew the Devils had their guy, but it seems like he's taken it to a completely different level. Where soon he's going to be in the McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon conversation. Drysaddle, he's going to be right there with those names. And I think his age and having just a few less years on him is the only re- thing holding him back from not already being in that mm-hmm. competition. I think what's fun about Jack Hughes specifically is he's a homegrown guy. He was brought up through that program and or through that team excuse me and is somebody that is fun to root for i mean a lot of times a a lot of times people in that position you you get you get such an earful of certain people certain stars that you don't even want to especially when you look across other sports like a lot of times the most hated guys are the ones that get the most coverage or the ones that have the most highlight plays and you just you want to look for reasons to not, not like them there's nothing to not like about jack hughes he's he's a First of all, he's a likable player on and off the ice. Handsome, it, handsome, oh, handsome, handsome devil, dude. Great-looking fellow. Like, can't believe Good. it. Can we talk about how he cut his hair? Awful, awful decision. Yeah, buddy. I don't like it. I don't like it either. See, I don't. But, I don't like it. But it's a testament to his handsomeness that I still think the guy, the kid, looks good. I, he he doesn't look like Panera. It's kind of a Sam Hartman but vibe. Are we? The beard. Sh- are, did I just stumble into a players that have cut their hair or having like the best seasons of their career? Panarin's on an absolute I was tear. Just about to say that. Yeah. Head. That Hughes, was a phenomenal Hughes transition. Hughes cut the locks. I'm not going to the Rangers yet, but Hughes cut the locks. Well, you could, was, you could have had a great. I could have, and I should have, but I won't. Yeah, you could. That sucks. Even though I think Panarin does look like an egg with the. Oh, Panarin looks. He doesn't look. Great. Panarin looks great on the ice. Yeah, I don't like that. In I, life, I, not great. I quote: "He I looks quote, so much better with the blonde." I quote Igor Shosturkin: "I cried." All right, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna change the the run a little bit. I was. <laughs> have you seen that? Have you oh seen my that? God, so I, I cried. I was gonna go Islanders next, but you know, Jack, I'm gonna be a malleable a host, and we'll transition into the Rangers. It was right there for me. That's How a cool. good word. That's a good word. Hey, he knew that mom, was good. Out the, out my the hands. Mom's an English teacher. Um. <laughs> And it shows. Able to be hammered or pressed permanently out of shape without breaking or cracking. It's more like being able to like 
Easily influenced. What's the Lou Orlando it? definition? What did you think it was when you said it? I kind of meant like I, you know, I'm. I just feel like I just, I'm able to change. I'm not correct. I can conform based on yeah. my surroundings. No, I just want to. I just want to read the definition because it was okay. a great word. Just a great word. You used it correctly. I, don't I know think why, so. I don't know. You did. No, I don't yeah, know why. Yeah. You're, I don't know why you're like correcting no, yourself. No, I'm just trying to contextualize it. No, no, you used it correctly. Contextualize it. Wow. Dude, he's on I a roll. Fire. <laughs> I'm a man of the people. I can't be throwing these big words out there. <laughs> Jesus. Let's talk about the Rangers. If we're doing standings, watch. First place in the Metropolitan. <laughs> How about that? No. Oh. Uh, just kidding. Um, But they do have their first win streak of the season, two straight. Mm-hmm. They've gone on an early West Coast, essentially a West Canada trip. Yep. Yeah. Um, Started off with the Kraken, a complete win, 4-1 over them. On Tuesday, they beat the Flames 3-1. They've got the Oilers today, Oilers without Connor McDavid. Um... I mean, I'll throw this to you, Jack, since you are a Rangers beat reporter, but I really like what I've seen from the Rangers these first two games on this West Canada trip, and I think very important to see them completely flip the switch after an awful game against Nashville that is looking more and more like just an outlier that happened three days after, two days after a Halloween party. Yeah, so, yeah, well, that was, yeah, that was not. Maybe. Good. That was not know, a good putting look. putting things together. So, I had the utmost disfortune of being at Madison Square Garden on the night of the Nashville Predators game, which was That's one of the single worst hockey games I've ever watched in my life. And the th- main thing that I've taken away from these last few games is exactly what Coach Laviolette addressed after the Nashville game, which was that there was no north-to-south play whatsoever in the Nashville game. They had no command of anything. And I thought the part that was really interesting and really shined a light on how badly they played against Nashville was that when they lost to Columbus about a week prior, they also played pretty poorly. And in fact, every time you looked up at the TV screen, Igor was getting ambushed. There was some sort of rush. And Laviolette was speaking on how bad the game against Nashville was by pointing out things that he liked from the Columbus game that was bad and saying that New York didn't even do that. So he was talking about how, look, we gave up a lot of rushes against Columbus. They still had command of the puck. They still attacked the net. There were still elements of the game that, at least for a good portion of the game, looked like they were making some kind of fight. He said there was nothing. There were gaping holes. There were a lot of things missing the night that they played Nashville. Now you fast forward to these first few games on this West Western Canada road trip, yeah. and you're seeing a faster north-to-south brand of hockey. You're seeing them actually cash in on the power play three times the other night, mm. by the way. Special teams looks a hell of a lot better. Igor is always somebody that you can you can rely on, you can trust. He's he still looks fantastic. But basically, I don't even think you're seeing too much different of a level of play in terms of overall skill. You're just seeing a more amped team that has more they have more control. They have they have more drive. I mean, I I keep joking that it's been a night and day switch since they actually got a coach who coaches. Oh my god! I mean, yes. listen, we we'll talk about it. Too. We're red in the face about how Gerard Gallant just didn't didn't talk to players outside of like the games. Didn't coach. Didn't do drills. We're here every day. We're getting a story from Molly Walker about this cool new drill that Peter Laviolette is doing, or Michael Pekka as the assistant. Like what all what these assistant coaches are doing. It's a brand new coaching staff outside of Ben Wallaire. The and- amount of people that you would hear from last year and the year prior say that uh, Gallant's practices were literally just like. A morning skate and you were like well no wonder they're never finishing the job like how does any team get exponentially better when practice is that they shouldn't be beating the living hell out of each other in practice but my point being is like when you have multiple journalists and and people who are there being like 
you know, they're basically like running their own practice. It's, I think it's just, you know, it's a combination of, hey, breath of fresh air, because it, it was a similar thing with Gallant his first year after David Quinn, who was so hands on that when Gallant came in and was like, hey, you guys do your own thing, that first year was very liberating for the Rangers and, you know, their best year in the last five years, you look at the record. Right. Um, that kind of wore off because he didn't coach. It's the same thing I think where Laviolette, where you're getting the opposite now, you're getting actual coaching. But I think there's something substantial here where he's building a relationship and he, he's tailoring his method to this Rangers team. I think some of the concern with Peter Laviolette is, hey, is he going to be rigid? Is he going to be you know too old school? No, this style works with what the Rangers are doing. And yeah, I want to talk about the line pair, especially of... Lafreniere, Hedl, Panarin, man, that line's awesome. Rangers are three and zero when Lafreniere scores a goal. Hedl is racking up points and Hedl's making some passes that I haven't seen this type of playmaker well, from Hedl. I, I was gonna say the amount of scoring opportunities that he's setting up just by just by being on the ice, the amount of opportunities that he has dished out, assists he's recorded, and the the crazy thing with Hedl so far in these last few games is it's every time you look up. I mean, it's it's almost every scoring chance. Every other scoring chance is assisted by Heedle. You even had, arguably, argue, the funniest part with Heedle is, f- arguably the best assist that he's had this year didn't count. That that the one, one that, that one Columbus, against Columbus, Columbus that yeah. got called back on the offsides. I it's interesting when you look at Heedle when you look at like kind of their the 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 higher part of their assist stat. You see Heedle, which kind of makes sense. Six assists, no goals. That kind of makes sense. He's yeah. just kind of a facilitator. Look at Menka. Five assists, no goals. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I've been a little weirded out by the first line because it hasn't been bad in all of them. The metrics for the Rangers' top three lines, even with Blake Wheeler kind of being a non-factor, the metrics all really like Jets the Jets legend, Rangers. by the way. <laughs> yes. He was their point leader for a while. Like, he their might franchise be the, he point might leader. Be there. I saw an Instagram there. post. He might be, like, their all-time GOAT. Of, since, like, the, like, I, I wouldn't put it I wouldn't um, past him. Like, I don't know that the first line has been crazy. I think you've seen Kreider come through a lot in the power play, and that doesn't surprise you at all, and Kreider's playing with a lot of the first liners on the power play. I don't know that you've been blown away by that first line. I think it's a little weird. I think it's a little bit different than that second line where, like, Panarin gets a fresh start a little bit with Hedl and Lafreniere. Those two guys he really hasn't had a ton of time to play with. This is their first time getting an extended run, and you're seeing it work. With that first line, Mika and Kreider have played together for forever. And now it's like, okay, yeah. we throw Kako into the mix. And it's like, yes, he's played with them a little bit before and looked good. But I think it's more of an adjustment for Kapo Kako. I still think Kako looks good. And you're seeing, as always, good puck control from him. Um, tonight's a big test for me, I think, because we've been talking about how the Rangers have looked good. They've, they've been quick and jumpy these last two games. This Edmonton game, with McDavid out, I feel like has... In pre- in previous years, trap game written over it, right? Mm, and like it has bad goaltending. Mm-hmm. And you, you look at this team. Oh, this is a team that the Rangers should. McDavid's out. We should beat this team. If this is a if this truly is a new Rangers team that's going to play North South hockey, you're going to see them play well. If they sleepwalk a little bit, maybe we get a little too ahead of ourselves. And I think the positives in the, you know just the infancy of the season definitely outweigh the negatives right now. Like I think there's way more to be clamoring about than kind of to be depressed about. One stat that really just impresses me about this team so far this season, one game this year where they gave up multiple goals. Only one. 
That is pretty absurd. They've given up pretty much one goal in every single game they've played this year. That is almost night and day from last year. And even, you know, it's obviously still early, only, you know, played a couple games so far. But overtime losses were also such a big problem last year. That hasn't been a problem at all this year. We kind of are taking taking care of business in regulation. But we talked about him earlier, Panarin as well. He's been kind of spearheading the action eight points in six games. He's been incredible. I think Panarin looks the best he's ever looked. He's back-checking at another level. Like, he really looks like he's... I hate the narrative that Panarin doesn't try because I think people see players that play with ease and grace and Panarin makes it look so easy. And they go, oh, he's not trying. He's too flashy. But it definitely feels like there is a higher level of dedication to back-checking and just playing the puck that we haven't necessarily seen from Panarin in past years. And I think it is a little bit of what the system of Lobby Light is asking Panarin to do is letting him, hey, Use your skill, use your speed, but also like, hey, use your stick, poke check. Let's get into the corner. Let's knock some pokes away. Let's steal some pucks away, and let's use your skills and put it in this system. And I think it's worked really well. And I remember being at Game 6 of the Devil Series last year, and I just remember a distinct frustration I had in Panarin because it just looked like he was skating in quicksand. Mm-hmm. Like, it just looked just so unlike him, so not Artemi Panarin that it was really frustrating. So it's kind of nice to see him get out to this hot start. And it's also nice when you see him playing harder that you could associate that with maybe a coaching change that maybe is more sustainable yeah. for the rest of the season. I'll, I'll give you one last thing on the Rangers because you brought up goaltending. Uh, I think Jack knows like to dabble in the analytics and the metrics a little bit. That game against Calgary, if you look at the expected goals against, Calgary's supposed to have four goals, and they wow. only get one because wow. Igor Shesterkin is an absolute dog and is off to another terrific start. We expected this. Another really good goaltender that plays in New York. How about this transition? New York Islanders will do our last local team. Islanders are now 0-2-1 after a 2-0 start where we came on the pod with Nick Palmer and talked about, oh, is this Islanders Because I'm sure, I'm sure he said some stunning things. I actually think he was pretty like conservative and like he didn't, he was like, he wasn't like, hey, we're the best team in the league or anything like that, or this is going to be sustainable. I'm surprised. I think he would, he was very worried about the top line play and a lot of the play really outside of the Brock Nelson, Kyle Palmieri line. So yep. I think he was smart enough to realize, hey, there are issues here. Um, but yeah, the Islanders haven't won a game after winning their first two. They're coming off, I mean, just a demoralizing loss to the Avs, seven four. Where I mean, you get into, you get back in that game a couple times, you tie it a couple times. Listen, the Avs are a wagon, but at the same time, you have to help out Ilya Sorokin. I think Jack, we said it in our apartment, like it doesn't matter if you have the best goaltender in hockey. And I kind of will go out. I like. I'm willing to say that Elias Rogan is the best goaltender in hockey. But it doesn't matter if you if you leave him out to dry. We saw that in Rangers Devils, right? When the Devils won all those games, it wasn't Igor was playing bad. It's he had no help in front of him. Right. And I think that's the same thing that we watched in that Abs seven four win. Listen, Abs are an offensive juggernaut, but you have to play better defense in front of in front of Ilya. Yeah, I mean, look, last year, even last year, it came down to. Having Ilya Sorokin is going to keep you in just about any game that you enter. Yeah. Um, when you can't... Two things, actually, that stand out the most to me about the Islanders, specifically. One, they've never been a highly offensive team. Except for, obviously, except for putting up four on the Avs, and then... No, yeah, it was they actually, made a, it was, it was they really, made a tough game, game with the Devils. Fun. It was really cool yeah, to and, see them fight and, back and making a tough game with the Devils. Couldn't I mean, pull Nick, that one off. Nick Palmer's been on that they're not going to be like I don't think they're going to be the sleepy team that uh, that Biz keeps saying that they are. I think they're going to be a bit more fun this year. Right, but I'm I'm going to tell you what, you're not going to get nearly the productive season out of Ilya Sorokin this year 
if you can't learn how to kill a goddamn penalty. Just yeah. tanking Jack's fantasy squad. They cannot, the, dude. I mean, no. Negative points. But I'm I'm serious. Like, the, the, it's, it, it's unbelievable <laughs> that, uh, think about this for a second. I know I'm going back a couple games, but penalty kill literally single-handedly lost them the game against the Devils. Yeah. The, pe- the penalty kill alone, that's yeah. it. Like, the Devils, we just talked earlier, we opened the show with how they're one of the, even though they're off to a slightly skittish start. Um, women, am I right? Yep. Um, <laughs> dames. <laughs> um, even though they're off to a slightly skittish start, that's a team that in every metric that you're going to expect to later in the season be a contender, be a threat. And also, had the devil Devils lost that game to the Islanders, we also may have been having a different conversation yeah. when we were having the Devils talk at the beginning. That's the that's dangerous one thing more, about having these conversations that's, six games in, but we got to do it. No, I know, but that's one more, lo- that's one more loss yeah. to, the, to the column that we would have been talking about. But when you have, because last, because here's the thing, last year especially, because I got to see it up close and personal, it was miserable to watch as a reporter. Former was, Islanders beat reporter. Right. The running joke was always that the, uh, that the Islanders always boosted up everyone else's penalty kill because they couldn't score on a power play. Still kind of true. Um, but now, anything man-related, whether it's man advantage or man disadvantage, if your special teams is struggling on both ends, this is going to be a long season. I mean, they're on a three-game losing streak. They've given up 15 goals. It's hard to win if you're giving up 15 goals in three games, outscored by six goals in three games. I just think it's going to be hard for this team to, like, really compete in the Metro for the next five to six months. Yeah, like, I know Nick has come on and said that he thinks the Islanders are going to be a wildcard team. I'm trying to remember whether or not Colin had them in when we talked about East Coast and the Metro. I don't know. I I just, I want to believe. Again, I've... uh, some people might call me frauds. Don LaGreca would probably call me a fraud if, I hear, if you heard me say this. But, like, I don't have any hatred in my heart for the New York Islanders. And, like, I think it's fun when all New York teams are good. I thought it was so fun when all three of them all made three the All three of them playoffs in the playoffs was year. sick. That's awesome. Yeah. I just don't know if it can happen this year unless we see major changes. I know it's really early to talk about this, but I do think that, like, and I just I think you're, you're going to need to see a lot go different. Moving forward, but the, the he, first line needs to. Ju- I don't know. I, we can't come on every podcast and just be like, "Man, when Bo Har- when Bo Horvat and Matt Barzell finally gel, it's going to be fun." I agree. When that finally happens, it's going to be awesome. But we haven't seen it happen yet, right? And the other thing is, they're kind of late to the party because honestly, I, I just pulled it up because we started talking about the Islanders. I remembered it. There was a tweet that I saw. Um, Vince Mercogliano was he tweeted it out. Great Rangers to before. to point out that the Rangers had one of the third best ranked lines, but they ranked the top 20 lines in the NHL in offensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. Guess who's number five? I mean, get uh, number seven Who in the league. Angval Nelson Palmieri. I mean, yeah, that, line's, that, that line, line is carrying That line is carrying success. the damn they team. They are keeping you in games, and they are carrying you to success. But the, I, pro- the problem I have with the Islanders, and I don't know what the answer to this question is, and and I didn't know the answer, what the answer to the question was last year when I was covering the team and, and watching them up close and personal. Brock Nelson is... It, it looks good. Starting off the year, looks good. Mm. That whole line, they look good. Bro looks good. Bro looks good. But like, who's your star? Like on the on 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 the New York Islanders, it should be Barzal and Horvat. They're supreme. It should be Barzal, right? But, th- th- that's, but they're both but supremely talented, and they're just not. That's playing. the scary thing, Lou. Is what like. But last what's also year, scary is that this is carrying over from last year. Last this is the same conversation. Last year, people thought that the Islanders signing Bo Horvat was going to be a tectonic shift in 
the NHL. In, in In theory, oh my God, look at you bringing out the thesaurus. Yeah. In theory, it's a great move. Nick Palmer talks about how, I mean, and it how, is a movie. how, it good, is a great movie how good of a pair Horvat and Barzal could be because Nick Palmer loves Barzal, but he's like, listen, Barzal's a weird dude, not an easy guy to play on a line with. That right. Horvat should be a perfect type of guy to center a line with Barzal on the wing. And it just hasn't. I just I continue to not be impressed with Bo Horvath. And no, no, ne- but neither neither have I. And and the and the funny thing is, like, when I so when I covered the game, they got eliminated. He he always tried, and I don't I don't blame him whatsoever. He always tried to keep a very very straight face, very stern demeanor when he was talking to the media because he would get some pretty direct questions about, "Yo, dude, like, are you gonna you gonna like help the team here at any point?" Um, and. I remember I got a chance to ask him a question. It was actually the last like little question I got to ask of the entire year. And the really the question I asked him, I was like, what do you make of like your first year here? Like what I I know it's a big shift. You're going from Vancouver to New York. Like it's it's a big move. You joined a team that mid-year we didn't know where they were going to end up. They make a late season playoff push. You almost kicked the island almost kicked the Hurricanes out of the playoffs. Like what do you look back on this year? Like what do you make of it? And I remember one of the main things that he said to me, and it was the most kind of frazzled, not frazzled, but like most raw I'd heard him get was he sounded very like exhausted by that transition. And I remember he was talking about it and he wasn't even just, I was asking for a hockey answer. He gave me a life answer. He was like, he was like, he's like, honestly, he's like, my family's been like living in apartments waiting to get our house built, like to move out here. Like my life is totally flipped upside down. He's like, I'm happy I'm here. I like that I'm here, but like this has been a this has been an adjustment and a half. And so that kind of gave me an understanding. I'm not I'm no, not but, defending the play right no, now. No, but I, you know, I think it's we get caught up in you know these player stats and we we treat it like a video game. We go, "Hey, you put this player in this team. Well, this should work." Even if you understand like, "Oh, chemistry might take a little bit." You forget the human aspect of it. Yeah. And I think even like you look at Timo Meyer's transition. I know it's San Jose, but you know, it's San Jose to New Jersey. Timo Meyer hasn't necessarily had the easiest transition either. I think that's taken him a while. So I think, you know, that real life thing, I think it does matter. I think it's probably something that Bohorvitz still dealing with. You have it? I, I do have it. I'm just trying to. Yeah, I do. Have it. Just keep going. All right. I, I just think when you kind of, you yeah. know, natural. Oh, you, yeah, you go. Ahead. Hanging out in hotels and family's been here and, and cooped up in, in a two bedroom apartment. Just kind of, honestly, just getting our, our feet under us and, and getting to know um, the city and buying, you know, getting a house and kind of getting more settled than um, you know uh, the family and the kids and everybody have been through a lot so to kind of decompress this uh, off season uh, is definitely going to be um, what I'm going to try to do. I, I came into this year high on Bill Horvath. I drafted him in my fantasy league for a reason. I think he's going. I thought that he was going to have a big year, and I won't rule it out that it can happen because guess what? We're five games into the season, right? So it's early to react to this kind of stuff, but I think it is something that if you're an Islanders fan, you're keeping an eye on. Right, because again... The other, the other thing that you have to apply while we're in this segment of the show, which is Devils, Rangers, the Islanders, is it is really hard to preach patience mm. on any professional athlete in the least patient sports market in the United States. I don't think by any means that Bo Horvat is screwed. I still think he's one of the one of the best players in the NHL. I think that he has oh, I think he has he's not showing it right now. I think he has the potential to be one of the best players in the NHL. He yeah. showed it while he was in Vancouver. The New York Islanders paid him the big bucks for that for the reason. Um but yeah, 
I think you do have to slap the six games in sticker on everything that we say today. Mm-hmm. But just because we're six games in does not mean that it's not important. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean that you're wrong because, again, you still go out there. You, every there's every team goes out there with the intention of going 82-0. and 0. They don't actually go 82-0, right. and 0, but you're supposed to go out there and try to go 82-0. and 0. And it's... It, if we're gonna hype up Jack Hughes, we gotta kind of talk about the guys that are getting off to slow starts. I will right. give you, I'll give you one last one. Um, Oliver Wallstrom coming back after mm-hmm. you know a surgery that took a really long time to recover from, and they've got him on they've got him on a really weird third line right now. I think with Holstrom and Pajot. Yes, he's a guy that was supposed to be like you look at the early the preseason projections is supposed to end up on that first line with Horvat and Barzal. And I'm just curious how long it takes him to really get back up. To speed, because I uh, I'm double checking right now, but I think he's played two games. I don't think he has a point yet. But that's a guy that high high draft pick, a guy that can be a difference maker on this team and really boost that first line. I think just something to watch moving forward. I understand this. Hey, Wallstrom's back. How long is it going to take him to get back into the mix? Right. No, I, it's definitely it's 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 interesting because even like like even last year carrying over into this year, like they always had the, the Islanders for. As long as I can remember, have I mean, being the last few seasons, have had death chart issues running into like how they have to shuffle up their lines. They were shuffling up lines last year to accommodate depth chart issues. So mm-hmm. it's definitely interesting to see how it all pans when out. When you look and you said depth chart, just to kind of put a close on this, when you look, because you know naturally we always compare them to the Devils and Rangers, just you know regionally. I just don't think when you look at those rosters, like there's one sticks out is obviously not as talented as the other two and I think it's the Islanders and I just don't think that like the hoopla and you know the introspectiveness of it all is really going to make that much of a difference I can tell you right now this will not be a great team our backs are against the wall a little bit but I think we're going to try and sneak in a couple more things do a little lap around the rink as as Crino said Around the pond. Yeah, let's, do if some we ra- will. let's do some rap. Can I uh, can I talk about a, a kid from Anaheim? I would love if you would open with let's Trevor. Let's talk Zegers. about a kid from Anaheim. So yeah, Trevor Zegers got benched um, in their game two nights ago, right? Two nights ago. Yep. Two nights ago. Um, during the Frozen Frenzy, which we loved. Um, yep. but I do think I, I looked at the the shift specifically that he got taken out. Uh, taken out afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole game kind of leading up to that, nothing really egregious enough to take him out or even stick out in a bad way. But if you guys would just, uh, you know, let me do this really quick. Go I just want to take you through that kind of shift he had before would, he got taken out. I would love to. Yeah, so the, sh- the shift gets started with, you know, they have it in their offensive zone. Zegris does the behind-the-back no-look pass to get it in the center of the point, which he does normally. You know, it's usually him creating space for the defender for his teammate next to him. And then just, it's usually pretty successful, but, you know, when it's bad, it's really bad, and it looks terrible. And he turned the puck over, but they get the puck back, and they get it back in the Blue Jacket zone no harm, no foul, you know, as you would think. That would be a crazy reason for him to get benched. But then, as you continue to watch the shift, they have the puck, there's a scrum for the puck, he makes a terrible pass to the top of the point, turns it over again, but even with that, it would still be a bit of a over-exaggeration to sit him. But then, I think what really kind of 
got Zegers in trouble is they're on a two-on-one and they're make after just making a good defensive stop they're pushing forward offensively and the two-on-one the his teammate next to him kind of gets covered by a teammate so now he's one-on-one with the goalie and he has a defender in front of him he has two options it's either to shoot or get closer to the net and make the pass inside he does neither he decides <laughs> to skate around to the other side of the net and then make a pass to the top of the point gets intercepted completely and then that's bad right like that's not that's great really bad that's not great but then he doesn't get back on defense he just stands there and watches a yeah, columbus see, three three on two yeah. that's bad like obviously any player is gonna have a bad moment like that but i think what a coach is really kind of estimating and really looking at and you know uh, I, I, for lack of a better word i think that they really try and see how you react from those kind of things and not getting back on defense, causing a Columbus 3-on-2, I think that reaction to the bad play is kind of the all-encompassing straw that broke the camel's back and got him sat. Look, this is Greg Cronin's first year at the helm for Anaheim. Yeah. So this is also a a young team that he's trying to come in with a new system and, and lead into basically into relevancy. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't disagree with the move at all, personally. Yeah. I, it depends on what coaching style you're looking for. Right. Because I know, see, I never played hockey, but I know just as any athlete would know who's who's played any sort of sport. Me, personally, I always played better under the coaches that I knew would, A, put me in my place, and B, I usually played better under the coaches that scared the living crap out of me. Right. Because that always pushes you to do your best. Yeah. You don't want to get disciplined by them. Although them, you, you also don't want to not get disciplined because that means they don't care. Um, you know, my dad would always say it's when the coach stops yelling at you that you have a problem. Um, but <laughs> no, seriously. But um, you know, there's a there's a quote from the coach, and it was, "I don't care who you are or how many points you're put up, you're not immune to being glued to the bench." Yeah. And personally, I think this is good because he also even. In his first couple interviews after being named coach of the Ducks, everyone knew that Zegers is their star. He, that's their that's their guy, and he said he was going to be hard on him. He said yeah. that he was gonna he was gonna propel that kid into the player that he, he or at least he's going to try to propel that kid into the player that we know he can be. If if see, I didn't even know that that was the sequence that led up to. It. Yeah. I watched I watched I tried to watch highlights to get an understanding, and still didn't see that whole sequence. That explains everything to me. But I do think, like, I, I saw a thing on this earlier. T- it was manager Ginobili talking about his relationship with Greg Popovich. Pop really, and Greg Popovich is who I'm referring to, he needed to let Manu do his thing and play his game. It was the opposite of kind of all the coaching philosophies that Popovich came from. It was very much put a guy in his place, especially if he's doing something flashy or something like that. But what Greg Popovich had to learn was that flashy play is his game, and you have to let him play his game. I feel similarly about Trevor Zegras. I think when he's really good, he looks like maybe the best hockey player on the planet. He's very skilled. But he's when he's bad, especially with you know creative mistakes out there on the ice, he could look just inept at doing anything so it's really a hit or miss I think kind of just regulating that more instead of just kind of a drastic one side to the other is important but I do think there's an element like I said before with the Ginobili example where you gotta let him play his game you can't just sit him if he has a really bad sequence I don't think any player should be represented by one shift I think that's grossly inappropriate and I think that I'm that's kind of how I feel about this situation I don't know about I don't know if sitting him was necessarily the right idea I'll be curious to see what happens with Anaheim. That's a team that I think very easily could collapse. 
as we yeah. wrap things up, I do want to touch on the Frozen Frenzy was Frozen Frenzy was Tuesday. You had 32 teams in action, and they Phenomenal did television. they did an NFL Red Zone type thing on ESPN with Butchergrass and. Man, it was awesome, and the league needs more of it. And they need to do they need to do that again. I think this season because of how awesome it was. I wasn't sure how it was going to work with between. Are you going to be able to show every goal? Are you going to be able to show power plays and hits and all that stuff? I thought it really worked. I thought Butchergrass was awesome in that you know in that Hanson role. So I am, I am so pumped that the league is actually like trying to do things and marketing stuff. It's weird and different, and I love it. Attention spans are at an all time low at least just in society and television watchers and everything. And um, I think that was the perfect way, one of the perfect methods to try growing the game because it allows you to sit down and see the exciting parts of the game. The reason why football is always the most watched is because it's slow enough to comprehend but fast enough to keep you interested. Baseball is honestly just slow. Like, I love baseball. It's my favorite sport in the world. It's slow. For the common person. Right, for the common person. Football the is uneducated. All, football is all, and and bat and and even basketball doesn't even take the precedent that football takes. There's a lot of action. It's too fast. It's yeah. back and forth. Hockey is probably faster than basketball. It's hard to watch. there's almost a skill to watching hockey. You had, you almost have to teach yourself to watch hockey. So I think as this game is trying to grow since it's already a niche market and takes a niche viewer, I, I could not have been any more thrilled with it the other night. I think they did a great job. I want to see it again. I'm the biggest fan in the world of it. Yeah, I think the mainstream attention is important, especially where the NHL is right now where they're really in a changing of the guard period. Obviously, the Crosby-Ovechkin era is kind of culminating here, and we kind of have a rise of guys like Hughes, Zegras, and Bedard who are kind mm-hmm. of taking that role. I think catching them at their rise to stardom and rise to fame I think is important. And I think it's a really transformative time for the league. I think you mentioned you mentioned him before, a guy like Paul Bizanet and just that entire TNT crew. They're doing their part. Mm-hmm. I think ESPN hasn't been as good. Some Stephen A. Smith related things that yep. I don't even I don't even want to get into. But he <laughs> doesn't count. Yeah, I, but I do think that you know Butcher Gross and this Frozen Frenzy. I think more of that would be great. And also, let's not only do it when there's 16 games. Let's yeah, do it when there's 10. Let's mess around. Do let's it. do yeah, it whenever. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. Uh, lastly, just want to quick shout out to. Travis Dermott got the NHL pride tape ban lifted. We don't even have to have a conversation about it. It's obviously that's the right move to ban Phenomenal pride tape move. in the beginning. Yeah. was stupid, and I'm glad that Gary Bettman had to eat it four games, five games into the season because a guy like Travis Dermott going out there putting the pride tape on said "f you." That's awesome. That's gonna wrap up our episode today for Chris Carino making his five and three debut. Chris, you were awesome. Appreciate for it. For Jack Warner, and you always know you're awesome. For the lovely Madeline Bamonte who came on and hated on the Carolina Hurricanes. We love it. I'm Lou Orlando. That ends our episode. This has been a production of WFUV Sports. Stop.